0: We say good morning again. As always, it's a privilege to be here. And you know what? We who are Christians want to be used by God, don't we? That's what it's about, being used by God. Who doesn't? If you're a Christian, that's what uh, what it is. And... Um, I think of uh, where we're at today and the vessels, talking about being uh, honorable vessels versus dishonorable vessels. And when we think of um, vessel, we think of something that is uh, to be used by its owner for, uh, for good. So, imagine yourself going to a, um, a wealthy owner, and it's a banquet, and you're one of the guests. And you're sitting at the table. And uh, it's a magnificent table. Magnificent room that you're in. Just an uh, just amazing place. And all of a sudden you hear the kitchen door swing open. Good. They're bringing the food out. Out comes the cook. And he has this great big old garbage pail. And he takes it and he starts dishing out the food on your dishes. Which are actually made of aluminum and uh, also, uh, you have glasses that are uh, broken and uh, the edges are kind of broken off. You wouldn't want to use those, would you? You wouldn't want to use that plate. And then the forks have what it looks like egg on them. And you're sitting at this fantastic place and it looks like great food, but you don't have the utensils to eat it with. And... That's what we talk about. We need to have honorable vessels to be able to be uh, useful to the Lord. And so, God, we know, is not going to use dirty lives to serve the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. And that's why, you know, we, we think about it. We want to be useful, we want to be clean. And uh, it's definitely uh, God's uh, intention that every one of His people uh, be able to serve Him, to serve Christ. And we do, we do want to be useful. We don't want to be one of those people that are like, um, you know how Sunday football is? Now, they have it every other week now. It seems like every other day. But, you know, there used to be Sunday. And then you'd wait till next Sunday. We don't want to be the Sunday footballers. You know, once a week we come to church and then that's it, right? But we want to be people that are useful all week long, every day. Christ is the head of the house day by day, every day. And so we want to be the kind of person that God uses. And, uh, you know, we, we think sometimes, well, God uses the ones who are uh, appointed to be the, the particular servants, uh, the particular people that, who lead uh, worship, or the, the writers, the preachers, teachers, the scholars, uh, the people in the seminaries, that's the ones who God uses. And we couldn't be further from the truth on that, could we? I think you all know where we hit on that. No, we are all to be uh doing a matter of fact um, I think uh, it was Alister Beggett that said that actually God wants godliness, holiness from his people, and it's more important than giftedness. you know one can be gifted with a lot of different things outwardly, but that's not what God is talking about when we are to be doing that, and that we're to be a Sometimes you can see gifted Christian leaders and they can turn out to be a terrible disgrace to the name of Christ. One who's been in seminary and a lot of training and who graduates and they're not even in the ballpark. You know, they're not even they're not even there. I mean, it's just like they're they're totally out of the, the deal even though they have this great education. And so it can be people who have great knowledge of the Bible. God is going to use them, right? Well, um you can, but if they are not clean vessels to be used. They're dishonorable. So the simple message of our text today is that uh, God uses His cleansed people, people that are godly. Now, we've been looking at pictures, haven't we? All through 2 Timothy chapter 2, we've seen pictures one after another. and We saw what I call was a, a strong man, and we saw a teacher. Then we get into the real visible ones where we have the soldier and the athlete, Right? And the farmer, those are great pictures, and they stay with it day in and day out. They're committed to that. And then we looked at Jesus Christ and said, remember Jesus Christ, because we can't do anything without looking at Him, right? So in the middle of that, that's, that's what we do. And we realize that we will reign with Him for eternity, right? And then we looked at last week that we are workmen, um, That's one who labors and strives by handling the Word of God accurately. right? As he said in verse 15, "...be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the Word of truth." Then it was like Timothy had a lot of false teachers that were around him, that were inside the church, or ones who had to be kicked out by Paul because of their false theology. And then Paul is telling Timothy to watch out for uh, the ones that are in the, in the church there at Ephesus. And there were certain ones that he mentioned. So there are a lot of pictures, and we continue on with that in this chapter. This is not even the last one. There's one more after this for next week. Um, so um, why don't we uh, look at our, our text here, where we're at today, this uh, vessel. Let's, uh, let's stand. There's a useful vessel, there's a vessel unto honor. That's what we want to be. And that's what Paul calls Timothy to do, as he calls us to do today. Now, in a large house, we're verse 20, right? There are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these illustrations you have given us so far in this section of the Bible that we've been in. And may we see more clearly what it is to be a servant of Jesus Christ. And we know that's all of us. We serve you. What a position it is to be a servant of Christ. And may we learn further. And may this scripture just um, speak to us today how that we can be more like the way that you want us. In Jesus' name, amen. The image of the vessel. The first one we're going to look at is uh, really we're going to deal with the honorable vessel an honorable vessel. Uh, Paul is going to use this illustration so that uh, Timothy can understand more clearly what it is to be that servant. As you stay and hang with this, you also have to be useful. You have to be clean, useful. Something that the Master can use. And if you back up in verse 19, it helps us to go into verse 20. It says, Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. So really there, he, he was explaining that's the, that's the church there. Uh, the firm foundation of God. That's what he has built. We see further in Timothy where he talks about the foundation. Uh, it's almost like the columns and, and such. And that's, that's what he has built. And uh, uh, that's kind of what we're going on to as we look into verse 20. Verse um, So he says, uh, here they are there to be, um, they are his, he owns them, and they are to abstain from wickedness. And uh, they are to be uh, clean, uh, holy. And that's what leads us right into this right here. So now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels. I'll get into that uh, vessel there for a moment. Uh, By the way, this large house Is what's correlating to this firm foundation of God in verse 19. It's the church. Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels. Vessel, there is a. It's a really broad term. It can be uh, uh, anything dealing with uh, things in the house, uh, gear that that can be used. It could be furniture. It could be all sorts of different kind of furnishings in uh, in the house. It can be um, it can be tools tools that are useful. It can be utensils that are found in the kitchen. Things like that that are are used. Uh, These gold and silver vessels. And so some of them are expensive vessels. In uh, this particular house that we started off with, expensive house, uh, expensive food and uh, table and everything, but the utensils uh, were uh, leaving something to be desired at uh, worst at least. These are expensive, they're valuable, they're beautiful, they're, they're clean, they're to be put on exhibit. That's what these silver and gold, gold and silver utensils are uh, that we're talking about here. They're highly valued. Uh, but then you have the wood, the pottery. They're cheap, they're not prized, uh, they can be broken, they're not used for public occasions to, to be seen in that way. Uh, but, so what we have here is a contrast, a real visible contrast. Because what we're looking back is at the time that Paul wrote to Timothy. And, uh, of course, a lot of this would uh, apply to us today, but the, their vessels were really important, these, uh, these instruments. And he's contrasting the good ones versus the ones that were used for dishonorable purposes. He's contrasting what people used for people to eat on you're going to eat with something, you want it clean, and you want it, uh, you know, something that is uh, palatable, something that can be used here. And it was used to grace the rooms that they're in. People sometimes have silverware, and you're just shining, you know, and it's expensive, but to, it's to be put on display. Well, that's one side of it. But the other side, this uh, wood and um, earthenware, Park. Pottery made of clay, breakable things. Uh, He's contrasting what those good ones are with the ones that were used for garbage. And to get even more explicit for excrement and those kind of things. That's what the dishonorable... They knew what that was whenever he said gold and silver versus the wood and earthenware. So when you get that picture, you go, there's some kind of function. There are noble purposes and then there are ignoble purposes. Now in this case... You still need those other ones, but he's putting them quite the contrast. He says, You want to be the honorable ones uh, used for uh, God's service and His kingdom. So, this is how how it is. This is the way that we want to be noble purposes. So, Timothy encourages Paul to nobly serve the Lord. Many of them had already defected, hadn't they? There had been many that had left the faith, left the church Uh, or out teaching false doctrine, and they were no longer useful. And they were dishonorable. So, Timothy plays, uh, you know, I mean, in this sense, uh, Timothy is going to be playing quite the vital role in Ephesus. And so now, Paul gives a little bit more of a a turn on this, a little bit more of a, a twist that he can really understand, hey, here's what all it takes to be a servant, And so he starts off uh, with this. We'll come back to those other vessels, but I think we pretty well explain what's going on there. Some to honor, some dishonor. Therefore, in verse 21, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified. I'll get into that word, and we might back up and go into some of the other words there, but we'll first get into sanctification. And sanctification means to be set apart to be used for a particular purpose that is not uh, worldly, to be separated from the flesh, to be separated from the devil, to be separated from our own self-wills, right? We are set apart. We're set apart to God and from these other things. So a vessel unto honor is set apart for holy purposes, Uh, not to carry the filth of the house, to the waste places it's set apart for holy purposes. And uh, that's how we would take that off in the spiritual sense here that uh, what he's bringing out. It really starts off with being clean. He says, therefore if anyone cleanses himself, right? Uh, Talking about sanctification. There's three kinds of sanctification in the sense that there's a positional sanctification. When you have trusted in the Lord when He has brought you and adopted you into His family, you've trusted Him as your personal sacrifice. You have now been set apart. It's already done in that sense. It's a past sense and it deals. Justification and sanctification are related together, but they're still separate uh, in their own senses too, even though they go together. You can't be justified without being sanctified. You can't be sanctified without being justified but yet they have their own uh, purpose, own definition. So there's a positional sense. You can look in First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. But by His doing, by the Lord's doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. We, we actually have the wisdom of God. And righteousness, you're declared righteous, right? And sanctification, you have become sanctification. That That's a past tense. That's what happened. When you became saved, when Jesus saved you, you were sanctified. And then it says, and redemption. Right? So you have righteousness, sanctification, redemption there that uh, already uh, has happened. Uh, you can go on a little bit further in chapter 6 of Corinthians, verse 11. And it says, uh, Such were some of you, and he's talking about um, the idolaters, the fornicators, the adulterers, the effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. Uh, Those people will not inherit the kingdom of God, and you were those too. Such were some of you. But you were washed. We sang that song this morning. Remember? Jars of clay. That's, That's pretty good jars of clay that's fitting in with this. There's a different use of meaning with that. But we were washed. But you were sanctified. We were cleansed. We were set apart. We were. That was done. That is a past tense sense there. A positional sense. And you can go to Hebrews 10.10. And again, we're focusing on this past sanctification. Hebrews ten. Verse 10 By this we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's talking about the, the one and only sacrifice there is. Jesus Christ on the cross dying for our sins at that time. And that's what chapter 10 is bringing forth. And it's all dealing with God's will. And it was Christ's will that he would do that also. And so we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. So when we were justified, we were also sanctified. We were set apart. So there's the past tense of our big words, sanctification, right? Uh, It uh, it means to be holy. Sanctified is the same thing, hagios, to be holy. Peter says, be ye holy for... I am holy. God says you you can be. It's only in, in Christ that, that that can happen, of course. There's another kind of progression uh, uh, of sanctification and it's, and it's actually called progressive sanctification. That's ongoing. While we live here now, we have been sanctified, but we are being sanctified. So positional, look where your position is at. Your position, that's where you're at. That's a done deal. The next Aspect deals with how we grow in Christ progressively. We are being conformed to His image. And one of my favorite scriptures is 2 Corinthians 3.18 because it explains exactly, very precisely, what is happening to our lives right now. And I hope as we sit here today or stand, this is what's happening to us. And as the day goes on, but we all, with unveiled face... Moses had a veiled face because the glory was too much for the people. And that's what he's been comparing to. And he says, Now, because of Christ, now you, know, you are the church. Look what God has done. Um, we now... Everything has been stripped out. We can see the glory of God through His Word. Okay, With unveiled face. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We behold just as, an, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord the Spirit. That's what's happening now. That's a fact. It's, it's just from Scripture here. We all, as Christians, are, are seeing the glory of the Lord and we're being changed into that image. Now, our bodies are not one day that will happen. <laughs> we can, we can definitely vouch for that, can't we? <laughs> so anyway, that's that's what's happening. That's what's happening to us. He's transforming us. Sometimes when you transform, sometimes it hurts a little bit too. You know, as he's molding us, he's making it perfect though. Uh, progressive sanctification. Go to Second uh, Corinthians chapter seven verse one. If you're still in that same book, I already turned back, but I'm going to have to turn back to Corinthians again. 7 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, you have these promises. Let us cleanse ourselves. Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Holiness is sanctification, perfecting it. Um, we're in Christ. He's the one that does it. We just work it out. Let's cleanse ourselves from this defilement. If you sinned this week, you notice I put the word if. (laughs) We sinned this week. But he says cleanse. Cleanse yourself. And that holiness will be taking effect as you fear God in the proper fear of God and His holiness. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians. <laughs> I thought that was going to be a weather report saying we need to get out of this building and leave now. They do that in my in our office building. We have that same sound. And that, you know when it's getting serious when somebody turns one of those on the goes on. First <laughs> Thessalonians chapter four verse three. Look at this. Hey, do you want to know the will of God? I want to know the will of God. How do I know the will of God? Turn to First Thessalonians four three, and it says this: For this is the will of God. What is it? What is it? Something magical? Your sanctification. <laughs> oh, come on. That's. Too... I wanted to know who to marry and and uh, what job I'm supposed to have and. You know, or what am I supposed to do the rest of my life? Yeah, what do I do with my money? Well, you know what? It's amazing how God just works that out. But there are certain things where the will of God is there. I mean, it's nice to pray for the will of God be done in your life on certain decisions that you make. But isn't it nice to know you can turn to Scripture and and most things are are said in here you know, about what God's will is and this is one of the things that He does and of course we've gone over this probably many times. This is sanctification. He says that you abstain from sexual immorality. He really makes it clear to the Thessalonians there that each of you know how to possess his own what? Vessel. That you possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor not a lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. Boy, it makes that really up front, doesn't he? And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we told you before and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but what? In sanctification. So He who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Oh, that's pretty good. That's powerful, isn't it? That very last verse. You're not rejecting some person, some man, but it's actually God. And it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who resides in you. So, that's a plea for sanctification. And it's a lot like our Timothy passage here so that that's considered progressive sanctification. Yeah, you have been sanctified but it you with the power that God has given you now can cut off sin. And that started at day 1 and will continue all the way till Christ comes back or he just takes us out of this body to be with him, right? So that's uh, we're being conformed and but it's it's still up to us to be obedient to do that. And but it's not without power to do it. Then you have the third one, and we call that either glorification or how about ultimate sanctification? We are being sanctified, but we will finally be sanctified completely. When we see Christ, one of our favorite passages, it's a phone day. 1 <laughs> John 3. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us? That we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. So even now we can be purified by looking at at that great hope. But one day we will be like Him. Absolutely without sin. Absolutely without any chance of sinning again. Never again will that happen. Everything will be all glorified. And uh, that's an ultimate sanctification. So, sanctification is a process. That's where we're aiming for. That's great hope, isn't it? Isn't it? Good to know. We'll be like Jesus. And uh, so, we'll be so set apart as absolutely clean vessels for the Lord's use all of the time, every moment. That's what frustrates us so much because of sin around us and things don't work out the way that, you know, we like and we get frustrated and Sometimes we get to mumbling and bumbling and and yet uh, we realize that, hey, you know he's using this, he's using it, and uh keep looking at him, the more we look at him, the less we'll sin anyway when you have this great hope, okay, we'll go back to our second Timothy in our chapter two, and uh we get to uh We're in verse 21. There'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master. Useful to the master. The the word there in the original language is despotes. And so we'll make this easy and we'll say despot. And you know what a despot is, right? He is the one who takes absolute control. He's a dictator. Um... I don't really like to think of the Lord as a dictator like one of the, you know we think of uh, like Russia, China, some of the evil nations and rulers down through the world. But he's, in this sense, it's, it's talking about Christ's absolute lordship. And we don't have any trouble with that word, do we? But that despotase is, is, is what that is there. Um, Paul's point here is that dirty vessels are not useful to the master. This is the master of the house. This is the owner of the house. He's the Lord of the house. He's the Lord of the church, right? So there's where we have to think about you. you ever been in a restaurant, discovered some kind of previous customer's dirty food on there? And like I was saying earlier, how about a dirty egg that just crusted on your fork? Can you imagine using that fork? Immediately, you'd be saying, Waiter, waitress! Uh, I need a new fork. <laughs> You're not going to eat with that. And so we don't want to be uh, instruments that are, that are dirty. Uh, tainted by sin, right? We want to be, be cleansed. Uh, and we want to be used. We want to be submissive. As, as He's Lord, we are His servants and we are submissive and gladly. We are glad to be uh, His clean, submissive servants. Obedient servants then he says not only sanctified set apart but useful to the master and now prepared for every good work and the idea of prepared here is being eager it's an eagerness prepared ready a zeal for noble purposes zealous for it Um, availability always available eager A spirit of readiness, eagerness, prepared condition, um, no attachment to sin. We're saying, if you've cleansed yourself, what are you? You're now ready for service. If you've not cleansed yourself, you're not ready. You're not prepared. And so that's why this just follows in in order here. Sanctified, useful to the Master, prepared for every good work, clean, right, to be cleansed. And um, you think about it. um, Have you ever been angry and then suddenly there's somebody there that, um, let's say maybe he's an unbeliever, and you actually have an opportunity to share the Word of God, and you've just been angry and they have seen it? Wow, just about anything that you say about Christianity after that, at least for that moment, is really going to be kind of worthless, isn't it? That's not being prepared, not being ready, uh, not being able to take uh, the opportunity. Or how about when... Somebody really needs a word of encouragement. And, you know, we're grumbling about something. And there's somebody over there really hurting. And they need a right word at the right moment. They just need something from somebody. And so if we're not cleansed, we're not ready. Guess what? We're not going to be able to minister that either. So if we're cleansed, we're ready to serve the Lord in any good work. He says every good work. Just being ready. So if we've, you know, if we've seen ourselves, uh-oh, that's sin, and we, he, he wants to make that account short. What do we do? Go right to him. He is faithful. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just. He's righteous. He forgives us of our sin. He's cleansed us. He's washed us in that sense, and an ongoing thing. So if you're cleansed, you're ready to serve the Lord in every good work that he sets before you, and you're ready. That's why it's so important. Well, that was number one, and now we go to number two. And that's all we have today. Two parts. Well, how do you be this honorable vessel? We've already kind of seen it. But uh, in verse 21, uh, he says, if anyone cleanses himself from these things. Cleanses from these things. We'll get into that. We're kind of backing up a little bit here after talking about... Sanctified, but I think it definitely explains how to be an honorable vessel. Um, be cleansed. Um, don't be defiled. Be careful what you do. Uh, be careful who you hang out with. You know is what he's saying. Uh, be careful who you fellowship with. Uh, you know there's, there can be defilement that uh, that can come from others, and you know we don't want to be around something that uh, can be. Given to us, uh, you know, like a, a disease, and uh, so sometimes uh, being around a shallow fellowship, uh, shallow, cheap thoughts, uh, people who who are in sin, in that sense, and the, the di- anything that they, you know, is in Scripture, they. Would be like uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus, or some of those that he's mentioned. You know, some kind of false teaching. Saying, "Hey, don't be influenced by those kind of people." You know, if that, it is, you're going to have to, You need to be cleansed because that can rub off on you. And the word there is uh, for clean, is catharsis. You've heard of that? It's a cleansing, isn't it? A catharsis, a clean, a clean out, thoroughly clean. And say, so, well, what things? Well, you back up and it says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, and what you have here really is, uh, I guess, antecedent involved here, um, the ones that are to dishonor, or the wood and the earthenware uh, that's found in verse 20. Those things. What are these things? Well, if you have clean utensils, and they're hanging out and they're put in the same drawer as the dirty utensils, guess what? Those clean utensils really aren't any good. I've been guilty of more than once or twice and more than three times where our um, dishwasher has a place where you put your dirty dishes. And I do that pretty good. But sometimes those dishes have been cleansed. And I'll think that it's dirty and I'll just put them on in there. Carolyn says, don't, don't, don't put it. And they're already there and I've had the forks and spoons in there trying to be helpful, but um, it doesn't help the clean plates. And she winds up doing them again and because the other ones were being contaminated. And so I try to learn that lesson. Uh, she actually has it written on there whether it is clean or unclean. It's those two words. Unclean, unclean. <laughs> and I still have... Um, I'm still trying to, to get through that. Uh, anyway, see, see what it does? And so, you know, that's, that's the thought. Um, dishonorable, wood, earthenware uh, used for dishonorable purposes. They had a purpose... You know they they were they came from the kitchen, but they were to carry out the garbage and uh sometimes they would they were made of pots of clay they get broken they're cheaply replaced and such but um that's that's the idea um if you look at isaiah fifty two eleven go back to some old testament here just for a moment isaiah fifty two eleven Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch nothing unclean. Go out of the midst of her. Purify yourselves. Timothy was in the midst of where there was some false teaching, really some bad heresy um, that could be very damnable and uh, you know abominations that can happen. He says, you know, in this case, that's what's happening there as Isaiah brings it forth. Uh, and not to touch anything that's unclean. Go to Jeremiah fifteen nineteen. Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, then I will restore you. Before me you will stand. And if you extract the precious from the worthless... You'll become my spokesman. They, for their part, may turn to you, but as for you, you must not turn to them. Anyway, he's talking about, uh, of course, Jeremiah is dealing with uh, the people of Israel and how there had been false prophets and God was going to, and idolatry, and God was going to have to judge Israel. But he's saying to the ones who were uh, his, he says, Extract them from the worthless. He's, he's saying, you know, come out from amongst them. Same kind of uh, thought there. So now we see that there's a cleansing. Uh, There are honorable, there are dishonorable, but if uh, the honorable are there, they're sanctified and they're useful to the master if they've been cleansed. They're prepared for every good work. And now he gives two commands. Flee and pursue. To run away from and to run to. There's always a positive. When He tells us to stop something, He tells us to do something else. Or He gives us the strength and the power to be able to do it. We um, we're not just left alone out there by, by ourselves. Um, but He gives us everything that we need to be able to do it. So, He says, Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Um, first He says flee. Flee from, the word actually is fugitive, uh, in the Greek few going. We get our word fugitive from it. Um, be on the run, keep on continually running. You remember that TV show that used to be on? I think they revived it, and there was another one, you know, called The Fugitive. And every week, he was always on the run. You know, was, you know, he, he, I, did he ever get caught at the very end? Depends on which one you're watching. I don't think I ever saw that he was caught. He he knew how to flee, didn't he? (laughs) They're always after him. And this is really aiming. When you flee from, you're aiming at righteousness. You're going for there. There's a place where you're going. uh, Fleeing from that. And and so he says, flee from youthful lust. We don't know how old Timothy is. He could be as old as in his 30s. All the way up to 40 even. Uh, Could be in his 20s. But at any rate, he's considered young. If you compare him with Paul, Paul's like in his 60s. So At any rate, we know that there would be those tendencies for that age group to have that. So he reminds him here. And he uses the word epithumia, which you might be familiar with, for lust. And you go, that's a bad word. And most of the time it actually is. But in the Greek, it doesn't always mean bad. It can be good. Um, The word is uh, epithumia. It's a desire. We have desires that are good desires. We also have desires that are bad desires. When we're in the flesh, the flesh likes fleshly desires. And sometimes we cave in to the flesh. We give in to those desires. Those desires can be anything. It can be some kind of craving for money. And going after that, and that's what our life is about. Uh, some kind of power. People want power, don't they? And they desire to be leaders, and then they, they get in a powerful position, or after that, so they can abuse their position. Uh, some have uh, really have a, an envious desire, and uh, so that's that's uh, the idea of this um, epithumia. Of course, uh, there can be pride there. They have the wrong desires. And he says, you've got to run from that for those desires that are wrong. Um, So, you know, Paul is talking about wrong desires that young men are prone to have versus older men. But that still doesn't say, oh, when you get older, you don't have those youthful desires. Well, uh, you're still going to have wrong desires no matter what age, right? Young or old. But uh, the tendency for younger men to have that, it probably uh, mounts a little bit more. Uh, Calvin kind of had an interesting thought of it. Uh, he understood it, he said, it like this It's the propensity of younger men to lose their tempers and rush forward into a heated argument with more confidence and rashness than men of a riper age do. You know, the youthful things and thoughts that go through young minds. You know, sometimes we forget we were there. Sometimes they go through things, and sometimes they just have to go through it, and, and, and you try to warn, right? And that's what Paul is doing here to Timothy and other younger men that he'd be teaching. And he reminds them hey, you flee from those youthful lusts. Watch out. Be careful. You have that proneness to do there. Yes, it was built in but because of the nature of sin. It's now taken wrong. God means those things for good, He gives us desires. And those desires get but we in our flesh really have trouble controlling that. And that's where that battle goes on, that's where this sanctification comes in. Really this section is all dealing with sanctification, isn't it? It's about a Christian's life and how he's to walk it and live it, keep it pure, and making sure that he's doing what God wants to do, right? So that's that's pretty uh pretty important. You go to first Peter chapter two verse 11 I put a butterscotch little candy out of my mouth I put it up here on the stand and that's what I was doing a while ago. I was trying to separate my pages in the scripture it's not a good thing to do that's a line with that's a dishonorable vessel right at the moment. Okay, let's see if I can turn there. Right? Uh, oh my! What did I say? First Peter, right? First Peter two eleven. This Bible may not ever be the same. Okay, beloved, I urge you as aliens. You're aliens. Do you know that? Yeah. Not like those movies, but you're aliens. You're strangers. You're strangers. You're aliens. World doesn't understand you. You are to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war <laughs> against the soul. Abstain from it. Stop it. Cut it out. Put it to death. Kill it. John Owen says, "Mortify it." That's actually scripture. I they I got a question. Kill, kill those. Lust, those fleshly lusts. So they can be anything. You know, we're we're thinking probably a lot of times lust deals with sexual behavior. And then that definitely can be, especially in the times that we're in, definitely. I mean, that ranks highly up there. But it can be all sorts of lust that we have. And that wages war against what? The soul. There's our war again. We need to be reminded of that. And that's why Peter says that. He says, hey, beloved, And then he comes on with this hard thing behind it. You're you're not only beloved, but you're you're aliens and strangers to this world. And I want to tell you what the world wants to do, along with your flesh, and wants you to cave in to these kind of lots when you're in this war. And so that's uh, what Peter says. And it sounds a lot like what Paul said to Timothy here, right? Go to Genesis chapter 39, verse 12. Everybody's familiar with this. You have Joseph here in Genesis 39. And it's an example that I think always used, and we'd be amiss if we didn't use this. Uh, Genesis 39, and of the verse we're aiming at is verse 12. And just a little bit of backdrop in case you're wondering, where are we at here? What was this about? Joseph has been taken as a slave. He's gone to Egypt. And now he's been moved into Potiphar's house. And in Potiphar's house is his wife, And his wife sees him alone and she makes advances towards him and gives him an opportunity as he is a youth. And uh, you would think he uh, could take uh, definitely advantage of it. Uh, But he uh, refuses her being the master's wife. And of course, he's kind of in a rock and a hard place, you know. If he does, if he doesn't, he's going to get in trouble either way. But... He doesn't want to be in trouble with the Lord. He's already prepared his heart, his mind, that when something like that comes up, and we know that it's staring us in the face, we get away from it, no matter what it is. Turn your eyes away from get out of that situation, quit thinking on that. Verse 12 says what? She caught him by his garment. He's trying to get away, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. He got out of that. I mean, that's physically doing that. If we have to physically remove ourselves from that kind of temptation, then we have to do that. He already had a clean heart, didn't he, when that happened? You have to admire that. Daniel and the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were prepared. And they didn't eat the king's food because they wanted to stay with what they had already given vows to, and they wanted to stay clean. And of course, God blessed that. And I think that's good for all young people. it's good for all old people too. but uh, you know those, those youthful lusts and the passions that happen. And boy, it's definitely explicit from Paul to Timothy here and reminds them of that it because it's going to constantly be there. It's a war. And look what the world is always offering, right? And uh, so he says, um, "Flee from youthful lust." Uh, there's one other one. I think it's really good in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 9. Really appreciate this one. 119, 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? There's the question. There's where it's at right there. Okay, Paul says, flee from youthful lust. And then the psalm writer says, hey, I already gave you the answer about a thousand years ago. (laughs) By keeping it according to your word. Oh, that's how we do it. It's the word of God that keeps us cleansed. It's the Word of God that keeps us clean. Abide in My Word, John 15 says. Abide in My Word. It says the Word is what keeps us clean. Cleansing. Now, here's the positive thing. You shut this one off. Here's the positive. Pursue. And there are four things here. Here's what we run after. He says, okay, it's so hard for me to stop that. Anybody can say that? Whatever it is that you have sin with, or sins, right? He said, man, I, I really do. I mean, I don't want to do that. Or, I, or maybe it's, it's a lack of doing things that it should be, and that's sin too, right? Whatever it is, I want to do right, but it's really difficult. And God says, oh, here's what you do. Here's how you fill in the hole that has been made when you cut it out. Pursue, run after righteousness, faith, love, peace. And this is how you beat sin. Pursue pursue that with all your will, with integrity, with loyalty. With, you know, faithfulness. So he starts off with righteousness. And first of all, we already know that we have been declared righteous. That's justification, right? And that's a past, sense thing that goes all the way into eternity. We have been justified, justified because of what he's done in us. And so that is that sense. But really, it comes to rightness, doing right things. I want to do what's right, right? So it's more or less the living part of this righteousness. The positional sense is there. It's it's done for eternity. But the rightness, we want to do what's right. The next one is faith. Okay, wherever we pursue righteousness, rightness, we are also to pursue faith. You say, well, I already have faith. I believe in Christ. And Yeah, I think the faith here would be dealing with faithfulness loyalty to God. Um, It's doing not only what's right and running after that, but to be loyal to God, to be loyal to His Word, loyal to His church, loyal to other people, faithful, somebody that can be counted on. You don't know how important that is for people working in the church. All people working in the church and when they are so faithful and they continue to do that, Constantly, day day after day, week after week, somebody can depend on year after year. That is so important, and it's for each one of us, isn't it? And if if that faithfulness is not there, it, it hurts. We're counted on to do something, right? So it, it it's good. The next one is love. Okay, Timothy, you do what's right. Timothy, you be one who's faithful. Timothy. You have love. Love comes in and it says, I'm not going to let the feelings rule here though. Love comes in where the feelings are not. still does what it knows, what's right and what's faithful. Whether it's the emotions or not. You know, you can love things and have really big emotions for love. Loving, loving others, I mean. And you can have emotions for that. And that's, that's right, and that's proper, and that's good. But, if you don't have emotions for those people or whatever, you still are to love. Emotions, whether they're there or whether they're not. Here to have it. Love because it is the right thing to do. We know that we're always called to love, aren't we? Always. Never do we have a sense of where we are to be not loving. It it loves because God loves. God loves us, doesn't He? How about loving the unlovable? Is that a hard thing to do? Matter of fact, it's impossible to do without the love of Christ, right? So, it's talking about focusing not on yourself. When you love, when you truly have love, agape love, it's not focusing on self, but it's focusing what? On others. And that's giving yourself up. Which is exactly what love means. An act of self-sacrifice. To sacrifice yourself is to give yourself up for the good of others. And Christ did it. And He says, Timothy, I want you to have that kind of love. Are you willing to do that? How about befriending somebody who's really lonely? How about befriending somebody who is really hurting? giving time to, to listen to them or whatever. Not easily provoked. Patient, kind, considerate. First Corinthians 13, right? So, having a rightness, having a, a kind of faithfulness, a loyalty, and having this kind of self-sacrifice love, and then peace. I don't think at Ephesus they were having a lot of peace because there were a lot of different uh, crazy things going on there at that time. That's why Paul is so concerned on his dying days about Timothy and the church at Ephesus, and that's we're right in the middle of this. And so he says, when he says this to him, he knows that every one of these words really are going to be powerful to him as uh, God speaks. Timothy, man, you're in the midst of a volatile situation. That thing could blow up at any time. And Paul had been there and he had taught them the whole counsel of God. Remember that? In the book of Acts, I think it's uh, chapter 19, 20, he met with the Ephesian elders and uh, said, I taught you, I went from like house to house going to each one of them and then teaching through the day, teaching at night, teaching all the time. He gave them the whole counsel of God. Gave them the Word of God. Can you imagine a Potential that Ephesus had with Paul as a preacher, and then later Timothy, who had been groomed by Paul. Man, they got great doctrine, didn't they? But guess what happened? They left their first love, Revelation says. Things just went crazy there. And they fell tragically. Leaders were corrupt. People became corrupt. Paul had removed two of them already from their and others are going to have to be removed by Timothy. Paul gives the standards. and uh, so he wants him to be a, a peacemaker. A peace there means to be undisturbed. It means having a harmony, having a tranquility. Uh, go to Romans 12:18, it says, "If possible, if at all possible, you do whatever you can so that there be peace." You remember that uh, section there? You, you do what you can. Of course, there are going to be people don't, that don't want peace. So, you know what can you do? You can't make them do what they want. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And so, that's the kind of peace that Timothy is telling him here. We already have peace with God. So all of those right there, the righteousness, faith, love, and peace, we already have those, don't we? We have those ingrained in us, so that's why we now can practice those. And so this is not a positional sense, this whole section. This all is dealing with our sanctification, isn't it? How we grow on the Lord. And then we have one last phrase. And then we're done. With those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. What does it mean to call on the Lord? What does it mean? I think, first of all, that's another way of expressing salvation. Uh, That's what we did when we came to Christ. We called on the Lord, right? We recognized our sin. We, We recognized our absolute depravity. You may not have known all what that meant, but you knew that you were in a terrible position. And it's only Him that was going to be able to get you out of this lost condition, this darkness, this death. And so the definition of Christian is the one who calls on the Lord. Not only once, but we constantly call on Him. Of course, definitely we think of prayer. But there are times when we need a special mercy from Him. We need a special grace from Him. We need that love. We need the sense of forgiveness of sins. We need pardon. We need to call on Him for power. Oh, every day do we call for that strength? Do you pray for wisdom? All of those things we call out for Him. Uh, we call on the Lord for our needs to be met that it would uh, line up with His will that we'd be able to do the things that He wants us to do. We call on the Lord for the hope of heaven. You know, we, we, we know that if we're, if we're Christians. We, that's coming. But to get us strengthened in the trials that whatever may come, those are the ones who call on the Lord. What are those? Those are believers. People call on the Lord. Christians can sin. Christians then actually become defiled. And uh, we we think of that and He says, have a pure heart. Be pure. A pure heart. Call on the Lord from a pure heart. That pure heart has to do with sincerity, being uh, real, being genuine, being godly. And that's what the whole message has been about this morning holiness godliness a clean heart pursues righteousness a clean heart pursues faithfulness a clean heart (laughs) pursues love a clean heart pursues peace that's what clean hearts do Uh, I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 1 and 2 1 Corinthians 1 1 and 2 Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. To those who had... Did you notice that? At Corinth. That sinning church. But there were believers there. To those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, that was the word that we looked at earlier, saints by calling... Christians are called saints, or hagios, or holy ones. That's what we are. We're holy. Remember the word sanctification? That's what's already happened. We are saints. By calling with all who on every place call on the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ. Their Lord and ours. Same Lord. So He calls us because we can call on Him. It's great. All who are in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. All Christians call on the Lord. Now, when you hear about a, a non-Christian who is an atheist, all of a sudden we hear that if he he's in, an, in, a, in a foxhole, what is he? All of a sudden he's calling out on the Lord. <laughs> no matter what name that he called him before, now it's all of a sudden he's calling on him. Who knows? Maybe there might be salvation there. But um, that's a mark of a believer, or one who has is being regenerated by the Lord to call on Him. Uh, we do that with a pure heart, a clean heart. We are to be honorable vessels. We do not want to be dishonorable vessels because you know what those dishonorable vessels are for. So he uses those extremes there. Pure heart. Do I want to be an honorable vessel? Well, if the question doesn't interest you, then God help you. Right? You want to be an honorable vessel, don't you? There's a song called, My soul desire is to be used of God my soul desire. That's what I want to do while I'm here on this earth to be used to God. And no matter what that is, whether it be the things of, that you work around the house, all the things you do there, you're giving glory to God in that. And, of course, you pray for people and you, know, you're, you, know, you want to encourage people. All those, all those things you say, I, I thought it was a minister. I thought it was a preacher. Uh, the, you know, the seminary guys. No. This is every one of us. We're to be useful to Him. Every one of us have to be used to build this kingdom. The kingdom is going up. It's Christ's kingdom. He's building it, but He happens to use us as we are stones put in this thing. At the same time, the stones are doing the building too. He uses us. I, I can't understand it. A sovereign God uses us. But we have to maintain a pure fellowship. We have to maintain a clean heart. Desire to get rid of what's not right and do what is right. That's where the righteousness comes in. We have to keep pursuing that. He says, pursue that. That means sometimes we can be unrighteous, can't we? Uh, uh, Not a rightness. We're not not right sometimes. So pursue that. Keep at that every, every day. And we realize that our usefulness to God has much more to do with who you are than what you even know. matter of fact, the gifts that you have, everyone has a gift. But holiness is more important than your gifts. Holiness, godliness, living out that kind of life. It has everything to do with purity and holiness as we looked at this today. You want to be useful? You want to be that pure vessel then? Here's what it is. Keep chopping off the sin. Be as pure as you know what to be pure. And if you think you've committed a sin... Go to the Lord with it. That's a virtue that God has given us and His conviction of His Holy Spirit. And you know, really, this really gets us right into what we do with the Lord's Supper. And you've noticed how every text is inspired and out of every text a Lord's Supper can come? I don't have to prepare another different message for the Lord's Supper. And I was listening to Stephen Lawson last night. And he said, we're going to have Lord's Supper as he started his introduction to the message because he says, you know, he says every text is inspired and it always can correlate with the Lord's Supper. And I've always seen that. And at the end of it, I go, that's amazing how that works. And in this case, as we come to the table, we have a call to holiness, don't we? And what we're doing is we're making a fresher, newer commitment, which we always do and constantly. And this is really about an ongoing thing until, you know, he comes back. Uh, the labor in the temple is an ongoing thing. that The priests would wash themselves every day. They would go in and out, and they'd always wash themselves. It's a daily sanctification. And this part right here represents what God is doing in our lives. And it's a great time to confess sin... It's a great time to um, renew our commitment to walk godly. And so that's what we do. And um, that's what we go directly into here. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this Word again that You've given us. Truly amazing it is. And may this text have bearing on our own lives because it is for everybody all the time and help us to go back to this text when we have our struggles and we realize we're in the war and uh, to be reminded because the the great pastor Timothy had to be reminded by Paul uh, to check yourself, examine yourself. And as we come to the table, we know that that's what this is too. This is a time to examine ourselves and to see where we're at and to be further walking in godliness and uh, progressing and not being the same or treading back, but walking forward, moving forward. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who does that within us to conform to the very person of Christ that someday we will be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.